emotion of that moment. You know, sometimes when we get to church, you know, we, we feel like we should be quiet and docile. But think about that moment. Think about, think about the moment that, that Mary was at this tomb and they had just saw their hope die, buried, no hope. A stone rolled in front of that tomb. And then she gets there. The stone is moved. The angel is there. Jesus is nowhere to be found. You know, I don't, I don't know, as, as I was thinking about this, I wanted to kind of help, help us think about that for a moment. You know, you, you, ever, you ever watch like, a, you know, some kind of sport, sporting event and your team was getting their butt whipped, hello? And you thought there was no hope and then suddenly around the end of the game, something happened, a spark came and they came back and won the game. You know that excitement that you had, that emotion that was there? Some of you might not be sports fans, right, but you like those rom-com things, right? And you know the Hallmark movie that you've never ever seen before comes on and for some reason you're watching it and your whole movie you're like, how does she not see it? How does he not see it? And then all of a sudden at the end you're weeping and crying because they got together. What I just described to you is on the most minimal scale what the resurrection of Jesus was like. The one who they thought was their hope. The one who they thought was going to um, bring them into a ruling position and dethrone Rome. The one who they thought was the Messiah, was the Savior. He died. They all turned from him. They all ran away. And then Sunday morning came. And Mary goes there, and she's weeping, and, and, and then he, he is risen. She goes back, tells the disciple, so much emotion, what happens? They, a couple of them race to the tomb to see, wait a second, this can't be true. The emotion was high. So it's okay to be emotional on Easter Sunday, amen? Amen. amen. If you have your Bible, if you would, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're turning there, would you please stand with me as we read God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll begin reading in verse 1. We've been in a series, series in the book of 1 Corinthians called Church Function. And as we've been looking at this in, in this series, we have been seeing the Apostle Paul is answering questions that are coming to him through the uh, different, the, the people in Corinth. They had some questions. The, the Corinthian church had some issues to be sure. They had some major issues and some major problems, and Paul has been answering their questions. In, in chapter 15, as, as, as God would have it, he, he is going to begin answering this question on the resurrection and why is it so important. And so we're going to start this off today, and over the next few weeks, we will continue to unpack the importance of the resurrection. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, if you got it, say so. And it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 
After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, by, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. God, we humble ourselves before your word in this moment. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And for those that may not be followers of yours in this moment, may they hear you calling them to the reality of the resurrection. Lord, remove every distraction from our minds and our hearts. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if you have an outline, I'm assuming not everybody got one, but if you have one and you're maybe sitting next to someone who has one, I want you to look at the uh, introduction with me here. And it says this, it says, if the, oh, oh, we do have some, there we go, well, I didn't think, I thought, y'all must have missed them when you walked out. So if you need one, raise your hand, and I think we have five left. There you go, there, five dollars a piece, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, there it is, there it is, here we go. So, in the introduction here, what I want to talk about today is our foundation, a risen king. What is the foundation upon which we stand? Just keep your hand up and they'll get, they'll get it to you. But, but I want to talk to you about a foundation, our foundation as followers of Jesus. What is the foundation for the church? What is the foundation upon which we stand? What is the foundation upon which we as believers stand firm upon? And it is the resurrection. It is our risen king. And so, the first line there, if the foundation of a thing is not sturdy, it will not stand the testing that will come. How many of you know that your life will experience testing? The question is, where are you standing? Because when the winds blow, and they will, when the rains come, and they will, what is going to be the aftermath? What is going to be the result? A few, a few months back, we saw the, the, the power of a surging, powerful storm named Ian, right? We, we, saw, we saw pictures of, of, of homes that were on the beach. And as we looked at these homes, we saw the, the sand was being eroded. And these houses, I mean, I don't know about you, but as I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow. At any moment, these houses could literally just fall right into the ocean. Now, 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 there was a barrier, there was a buffer that was between where these houses were, and obviously they built firmly, but apparently not firmly enough, because years of erosion, years, and, and you see, and that, that's what happens with our lives sometimes, right? It seems like everything is okay, and, and, and we're getting hit here or hit there, but then something really big comes. And, and if we are not firmly rooted upon the foundation that God has given us, then we are going to find ourselves ready to sink on sinking sand. And so if you look at this here, uh, Jesus taught in, as a closing parable, and I encourage you sometime to, if you haven't, go through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, reread from chapters 5 to chapter 7, and you will see the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the first big sermon that Jesus preaches. And you will hear these words as he declares what it means to, to, to murder and what it means to, to lust and commit adultery and all. And, and he'll talk about all of these things. He'll talk about how we should pray. And then at the end of the parable, he begins to talk about two different foundations, two different builders. 
talks about one builder that he calls wise. And he says, and this wise builder, he built on a foundation that was solid. What was that foundation? That foundation was the truth that Jesus was speaking the words that he had declared. And he said that one when the winds came and the, and the, and the, wind, and the rain came, hey, that, that, that foundation was firm and they made it through it. But the other one was the one that he calls a fool. I hope there's no fools in here today. And here's the thing. Even if you are, guess what? God changes fools to wise men just like that. But the foolish one, they didn't listen to Jesus' words. The foolish one rejects the words of Christ and doesn't live building their life upon the foundation of the truth that Jesus Christ offers. And so we have these two foundations. And so here's the thing. And this is my question, last, last uh, uh, sentence here. A question is this. For, as followers of Jesus, as the church, the body of Christ collectively, what is our foundation? I want you to think about that. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, what is our foundation? Why is it that we got so excited when we're singing these songs this morning? I hope you were excited. I was excited. Even though I was in a corner, I felt like I was in timeout. Glory to God. I've never been so constrained in worship in like such a long time. I was literally like, oh my goodness, I don't want to hit Griselle, but praise the Lord. We had a good time over there. <laughs> Amen. But, but, but why is that? Is it just because the music was good? Is it just because we had a full band? Is it, it, or, or is there something deeper? Is there, is there something else that motivates you when, when, when the room isn't as full or, or the band isn't as full or they didn't sing that song you liked because, you know, whatever it is. But, but, but what is it that moves you? What is the foundation upon which you stand? And for you as an individual, now that's for the church. For the church, I want you to think about that. But for you as individuals in this room, the question is this, what are you standing on? Because it, 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 it's all good to look at what everybody else is standing on, right? Because, you know, we like to listen with our elbows. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, hey, you need that. Hey, are you listening? Hey. No, 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 my friends. Listen with your ears. Hear what the Lord is saying to you. Hear what God is communicating to your heart this morning. Because for all of us, there's a message here. Now, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church. Again, he is writing to the church, emphasizing this message of the gospel. And, and, and he's doing this because the church, know this, if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter how long you've followed him, know this, you never outgrow the gospel. And you never outgrow your need to hear the gospel, to be reaffirmed by the truths that are in this gospel, which is the reason why the apostle Paul begins to communicate with them. I want you to think about this this morning. What the church stands on is why we live and what we live for. What the church stands on is why we live and what we live for. We stand upon this message of the gospel that the Apostle Paul communicates. Looking at, look, looking at verse 1 and verse 2 with me really quickly, it says this. says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Repeat this after me. Say, the gospel, the gospel. Is, the is the foundation for our salvation. The gospel is the foundation for our salvation. There, there, there are some hills that you and I should be willing to die on, right? There, 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 there's some places that we should put our stake in the ground and say, man, I'm not moving from this hill. Now, now in these United States of America, in a room filled like this, I'm sure there's some of us that would argue and, 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 and disagree on what hills we should die on. But I want to tell you one hill that we should all be willing to die on, and that is the hill of the resurrection. 
No, 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 no matter what people think around you, no matter what people say, the hill of the resurrection is one that you and I should be willing to die on, that we will die defending this. As a matter of fact, the people who went before us, these apostles that Jesus raised up, all of them died dying on that hill. Every one of them died dying on that hill. The apostle Paul makes this argument for what? In an effort to combat. Just look down really quickly to verse 12. I want you to look at verse 12. This is where Paul is, is going to get, and we're going to um, jump into this next week. But he says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I want you to see what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, even within the church. And again, we have to remember, this is only like 20 years from the time of Jesus' resurrection. It's not a really long period of time. As a matter of fact, one thing, and you can go and um, fact check me on this later on. Me and my, well, my, my buddy Felix Arroyo, last night we were like at 1130 at night texting back and forth laughing about this particular thing that I'm going to bring up. But it is, it is potential that this book of 1 Corinthians was actually written before any of the Gospels. Now, why is that significant? Well, because that would mean that this is the, the actual first defense of the resurrection that's presented at that time. Now, again, you, we, we can debate that. We can talk about that later on. But, but here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, defending the resurrection. When you and I read our Bibles, we're like, oh, we've already gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've already hit Acts. We've hit Romans. And now we're coming to 1 Corinthians. So we just assume that that, you know, it's, it's like the, you know, whatever that, that number is in the New Testament. But the, but the point is that Paul was probably sharing this letter as a first defense of the gospel, and he does a great job. He presents this gospel in a great way because he wants the people to know, hold on a second, you got people in the church talking about, oh, yeah, there's no resurrection. Time out, time out. If there's no resurrection, we got problems. If there's no resurrection, you're stuffed in here for no reason. If, there, if there's no resurrection where, 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 where they were being persecuted for their faith, they were risking their lives for, for their faith for no reason. So Paul is addressing this issue within them. I also want you to, to remember, think about the book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 32. When the apostle Paul is preaching at Corinth, he's, he's walking through the, 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 the teachings of Jesus. But when he comes to the point of the resurrection, they start laughing. They're like, Psh, you're crazy. So he's preaching in this environment. So, so there's already this, this, this attitude that dead people don't rise. You, you, you think the same way, don't you? <laughs> when, someone, when someone passes away in your family, like you're not expecting to go and see them and they're actually going to be alive, right? No, you weep. You mourn. You're expecting to mourn. Well, it was the same thing there. They thought, well, res man, man, that, 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 that sounds far-fetched. And yet, that doesn't, doesn't matter how it sounds. It's the truth. And so here's the thing. So, so the apostle Paul goes on and he says here, he tells them he preached this gospel to them in verse 1, which also they received and in which you stand, by which also, verse 2, you are, you are saved and are being saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you. And it sounds like there's a condition that Paul is, is giving here. And I, and I don't think that Paul is trying to make people worry about losing their salvation or something like that. What, what the apostle Paul is actually trying to do is he wants to make sure that they didn't believe in vain. 
He, wa- he wants to make sure that their faith, it, let them make sure your faith is real. Paul, Paul in another, another place, he tells the church to, to make sure that their calling and election is sure. And so it, 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 is, it, it is not to make them fear, it is to make them understand, hey, this is what we stand on. Did you believe in vain? Or did you really believe because of the truths that are there within God's word? See, as followers of Jesus, I want you to know this if you haven't realized this yet. Apart from the gospel which claims the resurrection, we have nothing to stand on. As followers of Jesus, our faith in a risen Savior, listen to me now, is the firmest and surest foundation anyone can stand upon. Let me say that again. Our faith in a risen Savior is the firmest and surest foundation anyone can stand upon. I want you to think about this for a moment, right? 2,000 years ago, I was just reading the story. I think I, I believe it was the, the account in Matthew. As soon as the resurrection happened, read the account and look and see what, 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 the, what the liars decided to try to get the, get, get the guards to say. Hey, tell them that the disciples came and stole his body. And, and listen, when you get in trouble with the governor, we got your back. We, 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 we'll take care of that. So from the moment of the resurrection, they have been trying to do what? Disprove it. Think about this now. I want you to just think about this now. Y'all are some smart people in the room, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, I, but, but I want you to think about this. They tried to deny it. They tried to disprove it. They tried to disregard it. But the resurrection has stood the test of time. Are you tracking? I'm not just talking about those, those people in the, in the gospel of Matthew. I'm talking about 2,000 years later. My friends, where is the proof that Jesus didn't rise? Y'all ain't, hold on a second. Maybe y'all over here get it. 2,000 years later, where is the proof that Jesus didn't rise? Oh, I got one amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me come over here, man. Maybe y'all, but 2,000 years later, where is the proof? I know I got the right side here. Where is the proof that Jesus didn't rise? Y'all, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Maybe y'all in the center might get this. 2,000 years later, my friends, where is the evidence that Jesus did not rise? All right, somebody got it. Listen, I don't want you to just get excited because I'm saying, I want you to think about this fact. Two, I love what Dr. Pete Owenson said last Tuesday, and he probably said on Thursday, the resurrection is a stubborn fact that sticks around. Do you not think there would be volumes of books written, that there would be documentaries out there if they could disprove the resurrection? They cannot. That's why our faith stands firm. Because, see, all, all this other stuff will change. All these other things will go around. But guess what? The resurrection, oh, that's true. They can't disprove it. And so we want to continue to live for that, right? I, I, I love what one person said. If we don't hold to and believe ancient truths, we will believe ancient lies. And I want you to know that there is no lie that is coming out in these days that has not already been debunked, disproven many times over. The problem is there was no YouTube back then. Hello. That's all it is. Listen to me. Test the theory, my friends. 
Go and search all these other religions. Go look at all of these things that disprove Christianity. Go look at all of these claims that are out there. And I assure you, you are going to come back empty-handed and be like, wow, these are all lies that have been refuted years and years ago. But the ancient truth of the resurrection, that one, they haven't refuted that one. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the scriptures are the foundational source of the gospel. The second thing the apostle Paul does here in verse 3, he says, for I delivered to you first of all. That word first of all, or, or that, that, that phrase there, first of all, should, could say of first importance. I delivered to you the thing that is the most important thing above every other thing. Now listen, now for those of you that have been tracking with us and you've been following the sermon series, we just came out of a pretty uh, debatable topic in, in the church, the gifts of the Spirit, right? We spend weeks walking through chapter 12, 13, and 14. Those things seem very important, but what I want you to know, in comparison to the gospel, they're not important. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I want to know if you put your faith in Jesus. I don't care if you believe in prophesying. I want to know, have you surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus? Do you believe in the rest? All that, you, you, we, we can debate and disagree and have a good time about it. But when it comes to the resurrection, oh, no, we, we, we need to make some decisions here. We need to decide the same way we talked about last Sunday and Palm Sunday when we, when we were talking about, listen, there's no, like, you know, uh, place where there's, like, middle ground with Jesus, you either make an affirmative decision or a negative decision. I'm rejecting him. It's one or the other. There's no, there, there's no in-between when it comes to this. And so the scriptures are the foundational source of the gospel. The apostle Paul says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. I want you to notice the first thing that he says here is that he received it. He received this gospel. And then he shared it with others. Have you received the gospel? Have you received the implications of the gospel? So what is the gospel that we're, we're talking about here? Well, well, the first thing he says is this, and, 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 and listen, if, if, you're, if you're okay writing in your Bible, or if you got an app and you can highlight this, or you can write a note on your phone, or write something, I want, you, I want you to do this. This is the gospel presentation. Here's, here's your training for the day. This is, this is your training, and your homework is to share this gospel with others. But here it is. If you get these two verses down right here, you're good to go sharing the gospel. If you will just get these, it's just I, I, that's easy homework. Two verses. Come on now. You didn't know you were coming to Easter Sunday to get homework, did you? <laughs> For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Gospel point number one, two, and three right there. And he was buried. There's another point. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. Let's pray. Now, you know, I'm a preacher, so I can't just pray, but here it is. I'm, I'm giving you some training this morning. But the first thing he said is that Christ died. Now, when you say Jesus died, that really doesn't matter to people, right? Because, okay, so a man died 2,000 years ago. Big deal. No, no, no. Christ died for our sins. See, that makes a difference. Because Jesus didn't just die because he wanted to die because it was the fashionable thing to do 2,000 years ago. That isn't it. Jesus died for our sins. Our sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross. To put it another way, he actually nailed our sins to the cross. Jesus died for our sins. But listen to me. He didn't just die for our sins. 
He died for our sins according to the scriptures. So what scriptures? I'm just going to give you one scripture. You don't have to turn there. It'll be projected here. But it is found in the book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene. Isaiah 53. I want you to hear these words. And, and as, as you hear these words and you read these words, I want you to tell me if you see a picture of who Jesus is. Right? You, you, may, you may or you may not. But here's the, here, here are the words. Who, was, who, who, was believe, who has believed our message? So even back then in Isaiah's time, people weren't believing. To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, and yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels." Does any of that sound like Jesus? Does any of that sound like what Jesus went through? The scriptures prophesied hundreds of years in Isaiah, thousands of years if you go back to the gospel, I mean to the book of Genesis, thousands of years of this servant, of this seed that would come and crush the head of the serpent. Thousands of years, hundreds of years, the scriptures prophesied that Jesus would die for our sins. The third thing that I said that, that, that is a point is that he was buried. Now, we're not going to go as deep or, or as lengthy in that. I just want to point out to you, him being buried is significant. Because if it says that he died, but he wasn't buried, well, he wasn't really dead. Right? There, there, there are some theories, right, that, that, that he just passed out, right? And then, and then a cool breeze came and woke him back up. 
But the soldiers who were experts in crucifixion, they made sure that he was dead. They took a spear and shoved it into his side. And what came out? Blood and water. Y'all know the story. Come on now. Proving what? That he was dead. He was buried. But it doesn't end there. We're here to celebrate. And he rose. Again. According to the scriptures. Again. It, was, it, it wasn't just that he rose again. There was words that were spoken about him. And so I want to give you these words really quickly. He, he rose again. This is, this is really important. Look at these scriptures here. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, this is, this is when Jesus is on the earth, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And look what Jesus says. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You hear those words? In the scriptures, it was prophesied that he would, he, it, it was given as a picture in Jonah of what Jesus would actually do. And so again, his resurrection after three days, it was a picture that Jonah showed us, and Jesus uses that as the sign that they would have. And look what he goes on to say in verse 41, you got to hear these words. Then the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, indeed a greater than Jonah is here. How you like that, sports fans? <laughs> Say what you mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. The people of Nineveh who repented when Jonah preached will rise up and say, you fools. You had the Messiah who was here and he preached to you and you rejected him. We'll move on. And so here, here's why this is so important, because while the resurrection could stand alone as validation for the gospel, the scriptures make the gospel that more spectacular. The scriptures make the resurrection that much more spectacular. When you look at what Jesus did and vice versa, because they were prophesied about and it actually happened. Well, he, it, it happened and they were prophesied about. And so, again, we can't get away from the validity of what we have here in this passage of scripture. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the eyewitness evidence, the eyewitness supports, evidence. supports the foundational claims, the foundational claims. of the gospel. So our last verse is here, verses 5 through 9, and we'll, we'll get ready to wrap up. But here's what it says. After he talks about the scriptures being the foundation for him dying for our sins and rising again, he says, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the 12, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. Verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me. As one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Claims that are made without corroboration 
are questionable. In our day, no picture, no video, it didn't happen. I was in my office in the night getting ready for the Tenebrae on Friday, and there was a conversation that was happening. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the names out of the conversation, but they were talking about working out, and one of them said, hey, I hit this particular thing, and I heard the question that came out. Did you video it? And then I yelled from the office, no video, it didn't happen. See, because in, in some way, right, we're all kind of like Thomas, right? We all need evidence. Especially now, now, listen, when, when you want to say, oh, man, you know, I, I lifted this, I did that, ah, those are things. But, yo, someone, someone rose from the dead. I, we need some evidence about this. I don't care what generation you live in, we need evidence for this. And like I said earlier, right, it, it, it is likely that the Apostle Paul is writing this as a first defense for the gospel that's being penned. It's not saying that he's the first one to defend the resurrection. I mean, you go back to the book of Acts, Jesus, I mean, um, Peter starts preaching, immediately they're defending the resurrection. So the defense of the resurrection is happening all throughout the time. I'm talking about what is written down. And the Apostle Paul writes this down. Now, now something that we have to understand is that, and I, I was talking to someone, and, and I said, you know, no matter what path you choose, no matter what path you choose, whether you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to be an atheist, you choose to be a Muslim, you choose to follow some other religion, no matter what path you choose, you are going to have to take a step of faith. But here, here, here's what I pointed out. I said, but for Christianity, Christianity has all of the big answers locked down. Hello. Christian, listen, there, there, we, I, I, I'll do it like this, right? So let's say Christianity has 95, 95 answers out of 100. Perfect. 95, right? And, and, and listen, I'm being generous, right? I'm just saying 95. And, 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 and then there's five that are like, we have answers, but you may not be completely convinced, right? So, 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 so here's my thing. Are you going to allow the five questions that you're like, oh, I'm just not sure about that? to outweigh the 95 questions that are rock solid, that are unquestionable? I mean, seriously. Like, whatever you do, right? Because here's what happens. People take those five questions, and they seem so brilliant. And then they say things that are just ridiculous. Like, you know, we want to refute that God exists. And so what happened was, how was the, everything created? A big bang. Who created the bang? Well, where did we come from? Well, we came, we were some primordial, something came out of somewhere. Well, who made that and that, and how did you get here? Hello. You see, you can't walk backwards and not walk into God. Hello. But it's foolishness. But some people will rather take things that are just ludicrous and say, well, I'm going to take those five answers, and I'm going to reject the 95. That's foolishness. Again, you have a choice to be wise or be foolish. And so, again, the apostle gives us some answers here. Now, now it's important to understand something about the time in which this is written. In the time that, that this is written, this is much like today, eyewitness testimony back then was a big deal, right? If today, if you committed a crime, nobody go commit crime after this, but I'm just saying. If you foolishly committed a crime and there was somebody who was standing right there watching you do the whole thing and they went and they went to court against you, you'd be in a bad situation, Right? Because eyewitness testimony matters. Well, in the, in, in the Jewish culture, right, they had a thing. If you don't have two or three witnesses, then, then, then no word can be established. But with two or three witnesses, these words can be established. And so I want you to realize what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul does here. So understand the weight of this. 
If someone saw you doing something and there were two or three witnesses, it was a wrap. There was no question. This was what happened. Based upon their testimony of two or three, look, you could be stoned or you could be forgiven. Hello. It's pretty serious. You could have been excommunicated from the church or you could have been restored to fellowship, right? I mean, these were serious. On the, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, I want you to notice this. In this list alone, the Apostle Paul gives us what? Over 500 witnesses who saw Jesus before he ascended into heaven. That alone suffices for credible source testimony. Now, I want you to notice Paul's words because he doesn't just say there's 500 witnesses. But what he says is this. He says, and many of them are still alive. And so when he writes this between like 52 and 55 AD, this is only like 20-something years after the resurrection. He's saying, go ask them. He, he, is, he is putting his money where his mouth is. And he is saying, you can go talk, to, go talk to these people who saw Jesus rise. Pretty important. But there's one more person here that saw Jesus after the resurrection. And, 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 and it was the apostle Paul himself. Now, now, when we look at Paul's testimony, it may seem less credible, right? Because he didn't see Jesus before he ascended. He had a, he had a post-ascension Revelation of Jesus. But why is the Apostle Paul's testimony, in some sense, is even more important and more impressive? It's because of who Paul was. Now, I don't have time to go through this. I do have time, but I want to take up more time. But here it is. Acts chapter 9. You can write it down. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 30. And you will see the picture that the Apostle Paul paints in just these little words when he says here that he was one who was born out of due time. And he says to her, he is the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul was the epitome of a skeptic. He was a Jew of Jews. He knew the Torah. He knew, I mean, he knew the Old Testament. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was indignant because he saw these people of the way that he hated. They were blasphemous people. They were pluralists. They believed in more than one God. They were talking about this resurrection. And, what is, and, and, and Paul is like, man, I did not deserve to be called an apostle because I was a hater. He was on his way to Damascus with what? The paper in hand to do what he got he got, he got the authority from the leaders he said hey I'm gonna go anybody who was declaring Jesus is the way we're taking him to prison and they're in danger of death now you think that his testimony matters I would say yes I would say this is a guy who got knocked off of his proverbial high horse hello and when he encounters the Lord, as you'll read in the book of Acts chapter 9, he encounters the Lord. The first thing he says, who are you, Lord? The Lord is like, why do you persecute me? He's like, who are you, Lord? And then after he tells him who he is, then Paul is like, what must I do, Lord? See, this should be our response, should it not? Who are you, Lord? When we're looking at these facts, when we're looking at the truth that is laid out in the resurrection, our lives. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're excited because you're standing upon the rock. If you're not a follower, you should think about where you're standing. If you're not walking with him, you should think about where are you standing. Are you standing on solid ground or are you standing on sinking sand? 
See, it has to be understood. If the resurrection didn't happen, then the gospel has no validity. Are you here? If the resurrection didn't happen, the gospel has no validity. We'll look at this in the next couple of weeks. And it is devoid of the power to change lives. But if the resurrection happened, then everything God says matters. Are you here? If there is no resurrection, forget everything that I've said. Walk out of here the same exact way you came in. Shut off the stream because it doesn't matter. But if the resurrection, and I think that the scriptures have painted a pretty clear picture that the resurrection is a reality, then that means that every word that God says matters. I want you to check out this picture. Our sister, Sadamiranda, she shared it. I stole it. I'm giving her credit right now, but check it out. You see that? No? There it is. Well, now you see it. I will come. It happened. I will die. It happened. I will resurrect. It happened. He's coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not standing on the rock of truth, if you're not standing in faith in Jesus, you're not ready. And so here's my closing question for you. Does your life reflect that you are standing firm upon the foundation of the resurrection? I told you to think about this when I first started this message. Where are you standing as an individual? I know where the church should stand, but where are you standing as an individual? Are you standing? Does your life reflect? See, I asked you this question about what does your life reflect because this is very important. Because it's easy for you to nod and be like, oh, yeah, I'm standing firm. Okay. But I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the way. See, because here's the thing. The Apostle Paul, he shows us what he did. He began to serve the Lord with all of his life. That was the proof that he was standing upon the resurrection. That was the proof that he was standing firm upon the truth about Jesus Christ. How does your life look? As an individual, how does your life look? Just bow your heads right where you are. I want you to think about that. If you looked at the way that you're living, would you say, yes, I'm standing firm upon the rock. I'm standing firm upon the resurrection. I'm, my, my life is lived in a way that says I really believe the things that I just heard. My marriage, it looks the way that it should because I believe in the resurrection. The way that I live every day, the behaviors that I participate in, the activities that I enjoy, the things that I long for, they all say yes. I'm standing firm. But if you're in here and you say, man, my life doesn't show that I'm standing firm. I want you to know that there is one who rose from the dead and he offers you the firmest foundation to stand upon.